1: It's the Autosport podcast. We hail Lewis Hamilton's fourth world championship and discuss Max Verstappen's Mexican Grand Prix victory. <laughs> So Lewis Hamilton has won his fourth World Championship. Max Verstappen has won his third Grand Prix, and I've got two excellent guests to dissect the Mexican Grand Prix and Lewis Hamilton's status now as a four-time world champion. Just one host, myself, Ed Straw. Joining me first is Stuart Codling of F1 Racing, who is both reveling in the fact that he's been our main interpreter here in Mexico with his excellent Spanish, by which he's communicated enthusiastically with every taxi driver, no matter how insanely inaccurate the direction they were driving in is. And he's also keeping up a brave face after suffering a minor foot injury prior to this podcast. So we're very lucky to have him. Thank you very much. Mon plaisir, Rodney. I don't think that's Spanish. You hablo un poco de espanol. You've also been getting the True Mexico City experience because while myself and our other guest were distracted on Saturday night by Paul McCartney, you were enjoying the genuine Day of the Dead experience.
2: I did go for a little wander around the Day of the Dead parade. It was very it was very enjoyable uh, having shared uh, an Uber back in our direction with the LAT crowd. Slightly scared off getting a taxi after our previous night's experience where I had to use my uh, E-grade GCSE Spanish to prevent the driver from uh, taking us to a bar which he claimed had women in it but uh, you never know quite where they're going to take you.
1: And my second guest is Lawrence Barreto, who we've managed to prize away from writing a review of this fine hotel in which we're staying on uh, TripAdvisor to record this podcast. You're not particularly happy, are you?
3: No, this hasn't been the finest establishment that I've ever stayed in for a Formula One Grand Prix. But you can't have it all, Ed, can you? And, you know, it's somewhere to sleep, I guess, somewhere to eat when we need some food. And, and I survived. Well, just.
1: You've your tune a bit because both yourself and Codders, when you came into this room, which is mine, I should say this studio, you were both instantly complaining about how my room was more palatial than yours. More palatial being a relative term, it just meant it had a little bit more space. But uh, there's, clear, there's clearly some feelings running deep about this this place.
3: Well, my room is a cupboard compared to yours, Ed, so that seems slightly unfair. Um, I've, I've also just found out I didn't get chocolates on my pillow like by the other two guys on this podcast. Um, and my keycard hasn't been working, so it's almost like they don't want me to
2: stay here. Well, you know, you you were the lead actor in the complainant uh, of the what we will come to refer to as Credit Card Gate. We
1: were determined to pay, but would they let us? They didn't. They just didn't actually want us to pay to stay in this hotel, did they? It was it was frustrating. All resolved in the end, and we were also entertained with a really interesting Grand Prix. Victory for Max Verstappen and Lewis Hamilton world champion. Let's start off with Lewis Hamilton. Four-time world champion. He was already an all-time great, really, wasn't he? But where does this championship rank? What does it mean for Lewis Hamilton's legacy?
3: I think that this has been Lewis Hamilton's best championship uh, to date. Um, I asked him about that um, earlier today, and he said it was the hardest championship that he's had to fight. He's had to put himself up against an, another team a very highly decorated driver in Sebastian Vettel and he had worked really hard for this title especially after last year and how much it hurt when he lost against Nico Rosberg so I think for when you add all the kind of variables up this has been a very very impressive achievement
2: yeah different sort of championship altogether hasn't it The totally different dynamic it's not a one team two drivers in that same team fighting it's been um, a driver in many ways conquering adversity in, in the form of a car that didn't always behave itself. And if we look at Valtteri Bottas's uh, performances as kind of more close to where that car is actually capable of finishing, more often than not, Lewis has exceeded the, what you'd expect to get from that car.
1: It was interesting because Toto Wolff, after the race, he was talking about the difference between this season and the previous couple of seasons of the three Mercedes titles for Hamilton. And he was saying that last year it was about the, the enemy within in terms of Nico Rosberg. And this time it was about the enemy without, which kind of changes the the, the whole dynamic of it.
3: You could see, though, that this year Lewis was, just felt a lot more comfortable within the team. Um, he obviously liked having Valtteri as a teammate um, and there was no more animosity within the team. Maybe that might be because he didn't feel that Valtteri was that much of a threat to him. Um, but also, I think he did relish Battle in Sebastian. I think he's always spoken very highly of Sebastian's talent. So I guess when he goes up against him, particularly in a different team, um, so the dynamic, like we've said, is different. I think it just it kind of adds to his experience. He wants to win, and he wants to go out there and win well.
2: Yeah. Normally, when a driver's got a teammate that they think is a bit weaker than them, it can encourage them to coast a little bit. Whereas Lewis has kind of, especially since the summer break, has been pretty extraordinary. So. When Fernando Alonso comes out and says he's had it easy, uh, I think someone needs to take Fernando around the back of the garages and give him a bit of a slap, really.
1: Fernando certainly enjoys throwing in the odd, the odd grenade along those lines, so I think he, was, he knew exactly what he was saying with that. But make no mistake, Fernando Alonso has a huge amount of respect for Lewis Hamilton. And if we do ever get a proper head-to-head title fight between those two, kind of a, a mature finished product, Lewis Hamilton and Fernando Alonso, in you know, a proper championship fight, just those two head-to-head, which we haven't quite had, even though they have been in the same title fight, should we say, it could be fantastic. But the point about the different championships is very valid. 2008, Lewis Hamilton's second season, battle between Hamilton and McLaren, Massa at Ferrari. Quite a few errors from both drivers. That spectacular finish at Interlagos when Hamilton passed Timo Glock for fifth place about 20 seconds from the end of the race. You'll never beat that for drama. That's the most remarkable climax to a championship. But the wider picture was one of a driver who was still quite inexperienced, making a few mistakes. 2014... Head-to-head with Rosberg, beat him in the final round. The points margin, thanks to double points, flattered it. 2015, pretty easy against Rosberg. Then, of course, 2016, he lost out to Rosberg. And then this one is, is very different in character, isn't it? That's exactly why... I think we've seen the best of Lewis Hamilton, particularly over the second half of the season.
3: He's just been so good all oh, year. I can't think of a time where he's made a massive mistake. There might be little, little things here and there. And there's Russia where he just couldn't get on top of things with the car. But generally speaking, he hasn't made he hasn't put a foot wrong this year. He's, he's completed the most racing laps passed the 1,000 lap mark in this race in Mexico. Um, and it's that consistency that would have really helped him.
1: All-time great, but where are we talking about Lewis Hamilton? I don't want to get into this too much because we'll do a, a proper, full in-depth podcast in our next edition, but where are we looking at Lewis Hamilton now?
2: Yeah, it's, it's like comparing apples and oranges, really. And uh, well, Which
1: do you prefer, apples or oranges?
2: So, well you're starting to sound like uncle monty and with now and i are <laughs> oh, you sponge or stone oh no it's it's in spartacus isn't it the infamous deleted scene where they're talking about different types of seafood um what i'll just say i i'll have to fudge the issue slightly because i was asked this on talk sport a couple of weeks ago where they of course want to know where they, they'd narrowed it down a little bit they said where where does this place Lewis in the pantheon of all-time great British drivers, and I said it's very difficult to compare because in the 50s you had fewer world championship races, drivers raced a lot more often in different machinery, and the cars broke more often, so they didn't know whether they were going to live or die in any given weekend, and they didn't necessarily have to find the limits of the car or be at the limits of the car for quite so long. And so you you look at, say, Sterling Moss... Uh, in that fantastic Monaco Grand Prix where he beat the Ferraris that were all all dominant that season. And you think there's a driver at the height of his powers, but was he actually driving every lap like a qualifying lap? Was he really extracting the maximum from that car? Or was he driving within its limits? And now the, the limits of the car are much more clearly defined in the data and drivers are expected to do that. So from that point of view, I do think that Lewis is kind of a a much more advanced model driver than we saw in the fifties, regardless of the majesty of Fangio Moss. And then you playing it forward, Jim Clark, Jackie Stewart, Emerson Fittipaldi, Nicky Lauda, maybe James Hunt's not someone you put in that thing, but Alan Prost and Senna putting it all the way forward. It's been an upward trajectory, I think of, of, of class.
3: I think um, you make a good point about the number of races and the reliability but I think you can only compare, you can only look at what Lewis has actually done with what he's had and the time that he's been around. And I just think that you, you do need to take the statistics into account and his stats are brilliant. He's the all-time pole position record holder now. And you, you can see him going on for many more years. If he's not maybe the greatest now or in, or in among those kind of top five right now, you can see him kind of getting to that point in, in, in the years to
1: come. I always look at it in terms of, the ability to execute within whatever the context you're racing. it's My perspective is that actually Jackie Stewart is the greatest British Formula One driver. I think you can actually make a very strong case from being the greatest of all time because he was just so good at everything, putting everything together, always delivering. And I think Lewis Hamilton, we're now seeing him doing that consistently. Lewis Hamilton's always been incredibly quick. He's always driven very, very good races. But the second half of the season, he's been so relentlessly strong. And it feels to me like on top of that pure pace... And you know, the good skill set he already had, he's now become this absolutely complete driver who I think is going to be incredibly difficult to beat no matter who you are. Obviously the way he won the championship wasn't necessarily what he wanted. He wanted to take it with a victory. A ninth place wasn't quite what he was uh, was looking for after the, after the early clash with Sebastian Vettel. So looking at the start, Verstappen challenging Vettel. They're battling in the first and second corners, a little bit of contact. Hamilton tries to go on the outside at turn three contact with uh, the front left of, of Vettel's wing with the rear right of Hamilton's car. Stuart Codling, who's who's to blame? Who needs to be blamed for this?
2: Uh, oh, I, I believe in a culture of responsibility and not blame, Ed. Uh, it was,
1: well, they they couldn't take responsibility for it because none of them wanted to talk about it. No, Vettel, no, Vettel disappointing. De- de- Vettel declared it irrelevant and Hamilton just didn't want to talk about it because he wanted to talk about positive things.
2: That was very, very convenient that the championship was wrapped up, otherwise that really would have descended into rancour. Um, which is not uh, a sentence you'd want Nick Heidfeld to utter Uh, I thought Lewis played turn one brilliantly because they kind of started to arrive at turn one um, three abreast and he clearly recognised that that wasn't a great idea and he allowed uh, Vettel and Verstappen to kind of argue amongst themselves in turn 1 thinking that he would then take advantage of whatever collateral eventuated and then of course when they had a little touch um Bette lost a lot of his, a little bit of his front wing against verstappen's right rear lewis just kind of nipped through like a rat up a drainpipe uh, and up the inside at turn 2 uh, and and was already nosing ahead at turn 3 um i don't i think without actually driving that circuit and feeling the way the the camber, the G-forces, the lack of grip in a heavy car would, would affect the trajectory of a Formula 1 car it's quite tricky to say whether it was deliberate or not and obviously Sebastian didn't want to fess up and say yes I did it de- deliberately, he wouldn't do it even if um, the championship hadn't been settled and um, the fact that the championship had been settled enabled Lewis to sort of uh, metaphorically throw the question back at Phil Duncan from PA who pitched it to him in the press conference about who was at fault and say, I'm going to throw your negativity right back at you and then issue some slightly bland and platitudinous response.
3: Um, I would say that no one's to blame. And I know that makes me look like I'm sitting on the fence, but
2: you're, sitting on, you're, a bed. you're sitting on the bed.
3: We've okay. already established this. Well, a bed is more comfortable than a fence, admittedly. In a suboptimal position for expounding. I feel no one was to blame in this kind of situation. I think Lewis was sensible right at the start. He backed out of it, didn't want to get involved. I think Seb probably could have let Max just go because he would have settled in second, had another shot of Max later on in the race, and he needed to win after all of this. And he just put himself in a position where something could happen. You would then expect Lewis to take advantage of the situation, which is what he was hoping would occur. But then you could also argue that he would have known that Seb wouldn't have given him any more space than he needed to on the exit as well so I guess in that sense neither of them were helping each other but then I don't think either of them did anything particularly deliberately
1: well the stewards noted the incident but didn't do an investigation so they agreed it was a it was a racing accident from my perspective it was all quite tight Vettel probably could have avoided it if he was very very sharp I'm not sure how keen he was on avoiding it given he already had wing damage Hamilton tried a fairly bold move around the outside perfectly legitimate good racing but it was just one of those things. Verstappen checked, was a little bit slow off the corner because it was compromised line. Hamilton had to check up a bit and it all just concertinaed.
2: Do we agree that the stewards did a pretty good job this race? Uh, I, I feel that they didn't interfere unduly. They reached conclusions promptly and they didn't interfere in the outcome.
1: The stewards aren't a big story, are they? So by definition, it's the thing in, like in football, isn't it? The good referee is the one you don't notice.
3: Yeah, I'd completely agree. I think it was nice that they noted those two incidents just to show that they were looking at it, but that, like you said, they made a decision very quickly.
2: And uh, with the Grosjean and Alonso aggro, it was interesting that they punished Grosjean for exceeding track limits in keeping Alonso back, but then noted and decided that it wasn't worth taking further action of basically Alonso sideswiping him and uh, biffing him up the kerb. I think they probably felt that he was he had it coming to him.
1: And we also had no action on Max Verstappen in qualifying for the impeding of Valtteri Bottas coming off turn 12 yeah. into the into Or not impeding. Well they, they agreed there was a little bit of a hindrance to, to Bottas who then locked up and had to abandon that first Q3 run but there is a level in terms of impeding and in qualifying where there are multiple cars on track so you can't completely not exist and sometimes the circumstances just don't don't quite work. So yeah, yeah, good from a stewarding perspective. And obviously we had the spectacle of Vettel charging through the field, coming back up to fourth place in the end. Hamilton was a little bit of a, a slow burner in terms of his uh, his recovery. He was stuck behind Carlos Sainz's Renault for quite some time. I don't think it was until lap twenty seven that he made his first pass and he did have some diffuser damage from the from the initial contact he it, didn't it, it,
2: enjoy those soft tires either did he that no. they were it's interesting mercedes were hoping that he was going to go to the end on, on those tires so th- he was one of several drivers who did well out of the virtual safety car
1: no that that certainly helps him that's when he kind of woke up a little bit looking at the stats uh vettel managed to pass 10 uh, 10 drivers 10 over, actual overtakes on his way through to fourth
2: have you brought your marvellously annotated lap chart I've got my annotated
1: of- lap charts which tells me everything so yeah you, you can you can look exactly when everyone passed everyone so Lewis Hamilton he passed he made 8 overtakes on 7 drivers he passed Pascal Verline twice and then Brendan Hartley Nuka Hülkenberg Danny Ricciardo retired in front of him and that got him up to ninth place in the end so that's how you, how you track his race but it did take a little bit of time for him to to kind of wake up and then all these radio messages about where's Vettel where do I need to finish so he clearly wanted to ensure he just made it his championship in Mexico.
3: Like you said at the beginning, Lewis really wanted to win this race. So I guess when he was asking constantly what's going on, he just wanted to see what the best possible outcome he could make for the race and, why wouldn't you want to know where Seb is? Because constantly that's what he's racing against.
1: Well probably the optimal position he could have finished in was eighth. The team kept telling him that. Kevin Magnusson took an excellent eighth place actually. That's one of the best drives we've seen from from him in Formula One in a in a very tricky car, not particularly competitive one in Mexico. But that battle with Alonso near the end, which was which was a great little cameo from Alonso in terms of battling with the with the new world champion, uh, entertained the crowd a great deal. So, you know, Hamilton did what he could. I think probably he could have got going a bit quicker, but you know, it wasn't his finest weekend performance of the season, but it, but it didn't need to be. He's got into this impregnable championship position by, by driving very well.
2: I'm very glad that um, it happened here because uh, throwing back to 2009 when Jensen Button world, won the world championship and didn't finish on the podium, uh, it, it was all a little bit of a fiasco because you had the podium ceremony going on at where the podium ceremony went on and then you had lots of people including photographers dashing all the way to the other end of the pit lane to try and track down Jensen to obviously cover him and take pictures of him celebrating. So it was it was good that um in this race Lewis was able to pull up in that natural amphitheater of the stadium and David Coulthard gamely attempt to do some uh, interviews with him while he hugged everyone that he saw. Um, But it it was good for Lewis that he didn't become invisible because I sort of felt that he would probably have been very disappointed if he'd just disappeared into the background while everyone focused on the top three.
3: But I think it would have been disappointing for the fans there as well because this is the title battle and as great a drive that Max put in to win the race the story generally was about Lewis Hamilton. So if they hadn't kind of put a situation in place where Lewis could park up alongside the, the top three and and be in that situation and, you know, drape the Union Jack round his shoulders and run round the stadium for all the photog- for the all the photographers to snap pictures that we'll be looking at for years to come, then it would have just been a disappointment, wouldn't it, I think, it all round.
1: Yeah, had a sense of occasion. And all credit to the Mexican Grand Prix organisers who really did create a a sense of occasion. Actually, both the US Grand Prix and the Mexican Grand Prix do have a real identity. They really put an effort into putting on a show and they have a a proper local character. So that's to the credit of uh, of the Mexican GP organisers that they were were looking ahead to this and and came up with a good thing to do. They
2: they do set... The, the benchmark. The, the Mexican Grand Prix promoters do set the benchmark and I, and, I, and I say that as someone who wasn't actually invited to Paul McCartney on Saturday night but uh, they do do a very good job. I, mean, I, I, think, I think the only sour note or the bum note for us came with that strange revolving podium where the DJ popped round and even Kimi Räikkönen sort of gave him a funny look and then drained the rest of the dregs from his champagne bottle as if he was wondering if it was going to be like some 80s episode of Blankety Blank and it would revolve again and Terry Wogan and Kenny Everett We're going to pop out the other side
1: i don't mind them trying new things like that and it's good that they're doing it but that that didn't really work and i say that as someone who actually quite liked the driver introductions at the usgp they could have been executed better and a bit shorter but i I thought that gave it a really good big event vibe this was lewis hamilton's day but he did only finish ninth and the race was won by max verstappen only his third grand prix victory one with consumer ease you would say so this is verstappen showing why he's a future world champion isn't it
2: it really is. And the way the team had to tell him to slow down and him say, oops, sorry, when he was popping in fastest lap after fastest lap. And then he did, was it six laps from the end? He really wanted to stamp his mark on that race, put the put in the fastest lap, asked the team over the radio whether it was the fastest lap of the race. Their response was not broadcast. I imagine it was probably Christian Horner telling him to tuck it back in his pants and stop messing about.
3: Well, given uh, the reliability or the unreliability rather, of the Renault engine at this race, uh, you can't blame Red Bull for wanting him to try and keep everything under control because uh, they haven't had many chances of victories this year. And uh, as much as Max would have wanted to go out and make it a, a massive impression, uh, they just wanted the win, and so you can understand why they were trying to keep him under under control. But I think you're, I think you're right. I think he, this performance in particular, the way that he dealt with Seb straight, you know, right at the beginning, and then just went on to dominate the race does. Give suggest signs that he is going to be a star of the future.
1: Yeah, no question. And and I think Red Bull were right to be a little bit cautious because if you look at the the five retirements, read down the engines, you've got a Renault Ferrari, Renault, Renault, Renault So they were definitely in the in the playing the right game to to take it easy. And and he just had it under control. Valtteri Bottas in second place. This was one of his stronger performances. In the second half of the season, he was enjoying the the lower abrasion track surface where he normally goes. Well, he qualified near as makes no difference on exactly the same paces as Hamilton, and they both only had one proper Q three run. Uh, in terms of improving Bottas abandoned his first one Hamilton didn't improve on his and his second one and there just wasn't any answer for Bottas against Verstappen there was no way he was, he was going to win it so you ended up with both of them kind of managing their pace to, to live to fight for another day as it were
2: That I suppose is about the only disappointment of this race and it's something that Lewis mentioned in his uh, press conference which was that the There are so many unique challenges at this particular event because of the altitude and the track surface. He said that he would really like it if um, Pirelli actually created a special tyre for the Mexican Grand Prix so that they could put on a good show for the spectators because there's so many people there watching and enjoying it that uh, they kind of deserve a, a better spectacle than they got. Although I would argue that it was still a very exciting race.
1: Hopefully next season there'll be a bit more tunability in the compounds because there might be a few extra compounds for Pirelli to choose from, so that, that might help it. Third place, Kimi Räikkönen, a fairly <laughs> a fairly mundane race for him. I do just want to throw in the stat that when Vettel came out of the pits on the first lap after his stop for the new wing, he was 26.895 seconds behind Kimi Räikkönen. By the finish, it was 16.071 seconds. Now, I have to add the caveat that Räikkönen... From once the pit stops and the VSC had shaken out, had third place sewn up, so he didn't need to crack on in the way Vettel did. But this does show the disparity in performance between the the two Ferrari drivers, doesn't it?
3: And I think it proved that, or Sebastian at least proved that Ferrari had real pace here at this race. And if Kimi didn't have such a bad start and then get trapped behind uh, the Force India, Perez, I, I think, So Perez is, yeah. at the start, and then lost too much time to so then he wasn't ever ever a factor with uh, Max and fell to read, it was just a real shame but it's just you know it's just another disappointment in the Kimi Räikkönen season isn't it really
2: yeah I mean Ed and I were watching together in the stadium section in first practice and we observed that he basically wasn't taking uh, the same corner the same way twice uh, I made a similar remark to uh, leading photographer Darren Heath uh, as, as we came back Into the media center, and he said, uh, "Yeah, uh, to begin with, I was wondering why he was never quite square in my frame, Uh, and I thought I was doing something wrong. And then I realised that he wasn't going around the same corners, the same line twice. Where when I was further up the circuit, Um, I then went out uh, to a different part of the track in FP three, and it was just the same. He was sort of all over the place, and he just didn't look as smooth altogether as Vettel, and that." was reflected in their qualifying positions. Um, obviously, it doesn't reflect, It wasn't reflected in whatever happened at the start. He said it got a good getaway, and then in the second phase of acceleration, it just bogged down. But, you know, he, he was quite lucky that Force India sort of chickened out and pitted their drivers early and put them onto a soft tyre uh, one-stop, which was then nixed by the virtual safety car.
1: I don't really understand false India's strategy. I understand them pitting Perez early. That made some sense. Nico Hülkenberg then responded. And then Ocon responded to what was a, a slightly risky move from his own teammate. I don't really understand why Ocon did that. That that ultimately handed trap position to Raikkonen, even without the VSC, which made it a, a slam dunk in terms of Raikkonen leapfrogging them. It was looking like Raikkonen might just end up being able, being able to be ahead. So it's a slightly strange one. But you know, to criticise Force India, they've secured fourth in the Championship. They've got already more points than they scored last year. And it's it's just a, a fantastic story, isn't it, what, what Force India have been able to do. And they do, they do deserve a huge amount of credit. Is there any team on the grid getting as much out of what they've got as Force India is? I don't think so.
3: No, I don't think so. Um, the fact that they've beaten teams like McLaren and Renault have got substantially bigger budgets is a remarkable achievement. Um, they've got a similar budget to Williams and uh, their points tally is far superior to them. Uh, working on a different kind of model to how they'd set the team up. But um, it's just a, a very, very impressive performance from
2: them. Yeah, they're very good racers, aren't they? Just It's a no-nonsense team. And the other impressive thing is that they've been carrying on bringing developments to the car all the way through the season. They've actually innovated they, with that Stegosaurus wing, which is, you know, I'm, I'm sure it is only a marginal advantage, but it's still firstly a marginal gain and secondly a marginal gain they invented and Otmar Zafnau said that now they've secured fourth place in the championship, they are going to start taking a few more risks with components because they know it's going to be more difficult next year with McLaren having possibly a more powerful and reliable engine, Touchwood. Well,
3: they hope so anyway. Not based on today.
2: Yeah, it's, it's it's quite it's quite funny actually. Pierre Gasly said that after the drivers' parade, Stoffel Van Dorn and Fernando Alonso came up to him and said, uh, "Well, you're getting used to what you're going to get next year."
1: <laughs> yeah, that's going to be one, one to look forward to. But it should also be noted that Renault engine did win the race, and has won two of the last four races.
2: Yep, you're right there, and they are they are getting there. And we were talking was it um, was it after Hungary? We were saying that we. would various people within the Renault organisation said they knew they had the power potential in the engine but getting to it was proving quite tricky with reliability maybe they have pushed a little bit too far with the latest step
3: I think yeah, speaking to Cyril Abitabou after the race, he was saying it was the preparation for this weekend that they didn't quite get right, I don't think they were quite prepared for the altitude uh, and the conditions Um, and so he kind of suggested that was to blame for why they struggled and perhaps they were too aggressive whereas uh, Mercedes were more conservative and that might be why we saw, say, Lewis struggling today to to pass Science and other cars because maybe they were just a bit more conservative given the conditions. You
2: know, there was even the talk that the Salvers wouldn't be able to finish the race because they couldn't complete a long run in practice and Pascal Verlein jokingly said they'd cut a few holes in it with a knife and they thought it'd be okay for the race and we saw Ericsson after what was what was a pretty impressive first stint uh, also, get screwed by the VSC and then his car set on fire at the end. So, uh, maybe they, it, it may be a separate uh, issue, but it looked like they weren't actually, re- well, or they were, not maybe they were just very, very marginal. And Verline was lucky to get to the finish.
1: Ericsson actually drove very well. He's having a good, good little run of form. He's one of those drivers that has his, has his moments. And he's had a few of those moments, moments together this time. And in fact, we saw a few drivers. Lance Stroll's sixth place. You know, again, we were watching in the stadium on. Friday morning and Lance Stroll was struggling hugely into turn 13 just didn't have the confidence to turn in, taking loads of bites at it Then, when he was finally comfortable with the the rear was, trying to get all the turning done and the rear was stepping out, it was horrible and he had a big messy run through there in his uh, Q2 lap, although uh, speaking to Paddy Lowe, after the race he did say that was partly because Stroll knew he couldn't do any worse than 12th in, in Q2 so just absolutely threw caution to the wind which is set sets. But came through with 6th place, if you give Stroll track position he executes very, very well and he actually gave Ocon a bit of a hurry up at one stage so uh, uh, so, that, so that's good to see. It does seem to be a track that produces good differences between teammates and you don't kind of get results just by turning up here, do you?
2: No, I mean Massa did uh, pick of a puncture on the first lap so that kind of eliminated him and Science had a, a, a spin or a puncture. It's quite difficult to work out. What, what actually happened was the uh, some of the information came to us that he'd had a puncture but the team said he'd spun so uh, that that eliminated those two from i get
1: the-, the impression he spun and he hoped he had a puncture <laughs> as sometimes
2: happens we can we can add the two pieces of information
1: together to include a portmanteau truth <laughs> but that's as usual for carlos Sainz jr he's had an excellent season you can you can have the you can have the odd error but but it's good to see you want to see differences between drivers you want to see good performance is rewarded and that's what we've seen. It's important for Williams for Stroll to
2: do well because uh, he's, you know, the, their fortunes are very tied in to one another.
3: Yeah, he's going to be around uh, at least for next year and, and probably beyond that and uh, they need him to be scoring regularly and at the start of the season he was not do that but to be fair to him he has he's picked up the mantle uh, and if it wasn't for his points they would be struggling to hold on to fifth place I think.
1: No, very, very much so. He's, he's become a, a fairly consistent performer. Now, Qualifying is the thing he needs to sharpen up. If he can get qualifying right, eleven times out in Q one this year, that's where he needs to improve. Mass has only been out three times. It's happened the occasional problem. Austin, it was a Er's deployment issue that that knocked him out in Q one. But even so, those those numbers don't lie. Even if there are a few specific cases where there there are excuses, as it were. But these were all supporting actors to the, to the real star of today, Lewis Hamilton. I, I doubt he'll ever have a more satisfying feeling after a race in which in which he's finished in ninth place. So he could almost be unstoppable now, couldn't he? I think he'll take enormous confidence from this
3: year, both with the way that he dealt with Sebastian and Ferrari's challenge, but also with uh, Bottas's challenge as well. And I think looking into next year, the confidence he has in the team and, and the and the form that they've had and the togetherness that they've got there. And he spoke today actually about how he's really improved in leading the team. And I think he's relishing that role. And I think looking ahead, if Merck can even just be in the fight, Lewis Hamilton having Lewis Hamilton, in the car will be a formidable thing.
2: They certainly have enough resource in terms of design strength and stability. I know Paddy Lowe's gone and James Allison's come in, but generally speaking, it's it's a very solid team and they operate very well as a team. And to an extent, that is what has lifted them above Ferrari this year. They've had a car that hasn't been consistently the best, but as a team, whereas in previous seasons you've seen them show a little bit of vulnerability when they've been pressed Uh, this season when they've often been on the back foot they've come out fighting really effectively and it's Ferrari that have dropped the ball when they've had a car that for quite a lot of the time has been uh, either equal best or slightly nosing ahead of the Mercedes so provided they can learn whatever the weaknesses of this year's car are or find the the root causes of them um, and can correct them in time then you know they could be a formidable force again next year
1: yeah you got to say the sky's the limit for lewis hamilton isn't it four world championships is a remarkable achievement by anyone's standards but but there could be could be many more and can just but be privileged to watch a driver operating at this level we've got some fantastic drivers in formula 1 at the moment sebastian vettel fernando alonso among them legendary drivers people are going to look back on this period and say wow you've got to see all these guys remember there are times where you don't have this this level of quality so i think to those who perhaps doubt the abilities of some of these drivers they don't win these championships by luck you just cannot do that you've got to be very good and this was a a fantastic championship victory for lewis hamilton it's a golden era actually yep i'd agree with that that's a good sound bite to finish on i think so thanks very much stuart codling and lawrence barretto and we hope you've enjoyed this podcast. Please subscribe to us on iTunes and whatever your favoured podcast download application is. Remember to check out autosport.com for all the latest news and reaction and uh, in-depth features in our Subscriber Plus section. Autosport Magazine out on Thursday and also F1 Racing, which will be a new issue, Stuart Godling. I would say, given the fact that I've been told to file before you fly,
2: uh, it will be out a week on Thursday. It'll
1: be with subscribers earlier. So thanks very much for joining us. We'll be back soon with another Autosport podcast.
0: This is it. This is the year. Enough dreaming about growing my business online. It's time to get serious about selling in my style, as big as I want to grow, because there's nothing I can't do. It's time to get Shopify and take my business to the next level. Whoa, someone's ready to take on the new year. Oh, oh, I thought I was talking to myself there. But heck yeah, 2023 is my year. That's not your average resolution, that's a revolution. It's It's a a new New year's Year's revolution. revolution.